0: Okay. My guest today is Leah Goldrick. Leah will be giving us a Stoics view of the pandemic. Leah is well qualified to talk about a Stoics view of many different things. I met Leah via her blog, Common Sense Ethics, which discusses Stoic philosophy and applies it to many issues that arise in living in the modern world. Leah was recently an editor of a book of readings entitled Stoicism Today. Leah was also the editor of my book, Freedom, Progress and Human Flourishing, which is more Aristotelian than Stoic. Before I ask Leah to talk about the pandemic, I will ask her some general questions about Stoicism. Hi, Leah. How's your day been?
1: i oh, good, Witten. How are you?
0: All right, I'm fine, thank you. I, I, I should mention that uh, Leah is on the other side of the world. Uh, Leah is on the east coast of the United States, and I'm on the east coast of Australia. So, Leah, are you ready for me to ask my first question?
1: Sure, yeah, go right
0: ahead. Okay. Well, when I hear people talk about Stoicism and saying that someone's a Stoic, What comes to mind first is that they're implying that this person suffers in silence and uh, does not complain much. No, my grandmother (laughs) was often described as a stoic. (laughs) So well, that, of course, is one of the meanings of the word in common usage. I wonder, do you think that the common view of stoicism has led many people to be wary of stoic philosophy? (laughs)
1: <laughs> maybe <laughs> I was thinking about it, yeah, maybe you know um but I would say that you know if I were going to describe stoicism to someone who doesn't know much about it I, I, I might say that it's actually closer to Buddhism than you know in that it's it's similar it's more about overcoming suffering than enduring suffering silently right although the mechanisms to achieve this would be different in stoic philosophy. Stoic philosophy would be relevant to your podcast in that it's a philosophy for inner freedom. You know, it helps us gain the proper psychological perspective necessary to flourish and to be more courageous.
0: Very good. Yeah, I was thinking uh, just as I asked that question, I think it was it was International Women's Day uh, was early, earlier this week. So I, I think uh you would probably be encouraging women to stick up for their rights, even, even <laughs> Stoics.
1: <laughs> oh, I thought that that's why you thought of your grandmother, <laughs> your grandmother, the Stoic.
0: <laughs> yeah, she tried to stick up for her rights as well, <laughs> with not a, not, a, not a lot of success, but uh, she she, um, she actually had, a, had her own business. She managed to like a oh. post office, so she, was, oh, she wasn't doing good. so badly. Yeah. Um, I find it interesting that Stoic philosophy, uh, both ancient and modern, encompasses a range of different views. Uh, I found that when, when reading that, that book that you edited, uh, Stoicism Today, that yeah. um, what do you see as the unifying theme of Stoicism, or is there one? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, just to put things for, in some perspective, you know, the ancient Stoics would have studied a complete uh, holistic philosophical system. So they would have studied ethics, physics or metaphysics, and also both Aristotelian logic and Stoic logic, as the Stoics had developed their own system of logic, which has been lost to us. Um, we don't know that we don't know much about that, but um, we know that they had it. Um, Whereas modern Stoics, not all of them, but maybe a majority tend to um, just study Stoic ethics rather than to study the complete philosophical system. But I would say probably if there is a unifying theme in Stoicism, it might revolve around the ethics and something called the dichotomy of control, which is a distinction that the um, philosopher Epictetus makes, and it helps to give us a certain perspective on our lives. So Epictetus writes that some things are within our power while others are not. Within our power are our opinion, motivation, desire, aversion, and in a word, whatever is our own doing. Not within our power are our body, our property, our reputation, office, and in a word, whatever is not of our own doing. So this, it kind of helps you put things in perspective, right? You know, there are these two classes of things, things that you can't, that are up to us, that you, you know, that we can control and things that we can't, that really should not trouble us that much.
0: (laughs) Right. Close to my understanding, Uh, my limited understanding from what I've read. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I suppose it It leads me to my next question, you know, that that one of the things that I like about ancient philosophy is that it has a a practical focus on helping people to choose how to live their lives. Stoic philosophy has a a reputation for being particularly helpful to people experiencing hard times. Would you like to explain a little more about why that is so? I think it uh, links to the answer to the previous question but you might like to expand a little
1: sure yeah well um like other ancient philosophies um you know that were focused focused on virtue the stoics think that all that is necessary for happiness uh is virtue and a good example of that is i just had a guest on my um youtube channel a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about um, exile Um, You know, which, uh, and so, for example, the Roman Stoic philosopher Masonius Rufus was put in uh, exile, I think, by the Emperor Nero, if I remember correctly. Um, He didn't like what (laughs) Masonius Rufus had to say, and so he sent him to an island somewhere, but masonius rufus didn't let that trouble him <laughs> no. because this was that he was you know he believed the sort of stoic ideal that you know we can be virtuous even in exile because all that is necessary for happiness is virtue and that's not dependent on anything external to us you know we can still be a virtuous person or you know even if things are taken from us
0: yeah so it's some um, pretty hard <laughs> So. <laughs> yeah, know, it is hard. Yeah, it is hard. <laughs> it's, uh, I suppose you know, long, long practice. I guess. <laughs> I <suppose. laughs>
1: yeah. Also. Yes. Well, there, there was this really practical emphasis on exercises. It was not just meant to be theoretical. So there's yeah. a there's a lot of Stoic writings and stuff were sort of devoted to uh, exercises that one might do to achieve this and to improve.
0: Yeah. Let's now talk about fear. One of the techniques that I have sometimes used to cope with fear is to, is to imagine the worst possible outcome and ask, instead of just saying, oh, isn't that awful? Isn't it awful? Uh, i ask myself, <laughs> well, how could I endure that? And uh, now I understand this. this is a technique that has, has its origins in Stoic philosophy. Would you like to, to tell us about Stoic approaches to managing fear?
1: Yeah. And, um, yeah, just to preface that, um, the stoic perspective on emotions is that there are good emotions and bad emotions, you know, and, um, that some fall into this category of being passions. So that would be a negative emotion. So the stoics think that fear is a passion, which should be overcome. And so they, they think though, that reasonable caution is not A passion. So that's similar to Aristotle's golden mean, where you might have reasonable caution as a midway point between fear on one hand and fear of foolhardiness on the other hand. You know what I mean? And so neither of those extremes are what we really want to strive for. So, you know, that said, you know, visualizing the worst outcome, what that's called is uh, premeditatio malorum or negative visualization. And so, yeah, you are. You would visualize the worst happening, or you visualize being confronted with something that you d- wouldn't want to happen. You know, whereas you think about how you would confront it, and that that would make it easier if you're actually confronted with it. You know, and uh, Epictetus writes, "We must train in the winter for the summer campaign." So what he's saying is that it's it's e- easier if you meditate now or ahead of time on how you might handle certain um things before you're actually confronted with them you might find that your thoughts about the future are wor- actually worse than the thing itself. You know what I mean? Or you think about ways that you could cope with this. Um, and so that, you know, it can be very helpful.
0: Like, b- before I do anything, even, even this interview, I, I, I sort of <laughs> tried to think, uh, oh, uh, yeah, this will be fun, I think. But uh, <laughs> on the other hand, uh, I'm prepared to accept anything that might happen. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I guess, you know, it is related to that uh, yeah. thing about it. Not being too afraid of um, contemplating the worst outcome.
1: Yeah, or that you hope that the technology cooperates.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Now, let's get to the main event, I guess. So over the last couple of years, there has been a great deal of fear and panic all over the world. In response to the COVID nineteen pandemic, uh, please tell us about your own experience during the pandemic and how Stoic philosophy has helped and influence, influenced you. First, I guess your own experience when you caught the virus in twenty twenty.
1: Yeah, you know, it, we yeah we got COVID. My whole family got that in March twenty twenty, and you know, it was a tough experience, not just because of the illness itself. But in retrospect, because it was so early into the whole pandemic that we are basically at the height of sort of the fearful media coverage and lack of information, you know, about the virus and um, the lockdown. And add to that, that sort of the age stratification risk data really wasn't as clear then, Do you know what I mean? And I think that soon after that, it really became clear about the mortality risk, you know, in a sort of the age stratification difference, you know, that there's really this thousandfold difference in mortality between, you know, the young and the old, and then also for some people who have comorbidities and so on. So I don't know. There's still some people who I don't seem to understand this still, even though we've known about it for quite a while now. But at the beginning we did we did not know that, you know, it wasn't as quite as clear, you know, the differences in risk and so on. You know, so how, how low, for example, you know, my kids would be as opposed to somebody with comorbidities. But um, so at the time I was a little bit worried <laughs> about about myself, you know, because yeah. you know, I lost 15 pounds. I had shortness of breath for quite a while although I never my my oxygen never was low at all so I don't I don't know I can't really explain that but anyway mm-hmm. you know I was worried about my prognosis you know but in hindsight if we'd had that risk stratification data you know my chances of dying as a 38 year old with no comorbidities you know it's basically <laughs> a fraction of 1% and it would have been nice to know that you know, to have sort of alleviated a bit of the worry, and anyway, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. but the silver lining of that experience was that it really made me confront and become more comfortable with, you know, my own death and the inevitability of it, you know, and this stoicism really emphasizes that, the reality, you know, that we're all on our way to death, you know, Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor who was also a stoic, he writes, do not despise death, but be well content with it, since this too is one of those things which nature wills. So so I would say that sort of that's the silver lining of having gone through that, is that it really, it did make me sort of think about these things, you know, more than I would have otherwise.
0: Yeah. So now could you please tell us how stoicism has influenced you subsequently in your ideas <laughs> about vaccines and <laughs> mandates and so forth?
1: Yeah. You know, well, I mentioned before the dichotomy of control, you know, some things are in our control and some are not. And health is one of those things that's either not under our control at all, or you really could argue maybe partially within our control. Now, when it comes to like a highly contagious respiratory virus, there is no way to really have control over that. And that became pretty clear to me early on, you know, the people were blaming the government, blaming, you know, everybody and their mother about this whole thing, but basically that it probably didn't make a difference. You know, it's like it, it's become more clear that everything that the government has tried to do to mandate, you know, do or mandate to stop the spread of COVID has been a failure to one extent or another. There are very few things that have worked very well. And therefore, I'm. I'm not. It's, it seems irrational for me to do the irrational things. Feel are gonna protect me, or protect other people. And also, I, I'm not just. Gonna, I'm not going to hate or discriminate against, discriminate against other people, because there's this new disease, or because of their willingness or unwillingness to take a vaccine or anything else. There's some support for this in in stoic uh, literature, and I'll get to that in just a second. But I I really think before I I say that, at the very core of this issue is people's fear of mortality. Because even if they happen to be very low risk, you know, there's just sort of these unresolved issues that people have with their own mortality. And um, I honestly think that I'm not talking about the state but in terms of the individuals who are supporting this types of the types of things you know um, I really think that or and I'm not talking about also not talking about people who sort of are in compliance because they have no other choice that's a different thing too but people who actually really believe that these things are going to stop the spread and believe that they're in favor of them and that's going to keep them safe you know I really think that that they are doing that not so much because they actually are going to be safe, but because they want to feel better about their own mortality. You know, some people are so afraid of their mortality that they're basically willing to have others' rights violated so that they could feel safe. And that that seems totally irrational to me. But yeah, in terms of the vaccine, it really should be a personal choice. You know, we don't, we know that it doesn't stop transmission. We know that now, you know, and so for or if you want to be very charitable, it stops transmission for a, an extremely short period of time. you know. So I, I can, I'll can i say that to be charitable. But the whole idea, though, that we need to take a pharmaceutical product to participate in society, I think, now this isn't stoic, but I think that's sort of a, an attempt to rewrite the entire social contract. And I would ask, are we really willing to sort of usher in the end of the liberal, liberal world order just because someone might be so afraid of of illness <laughs> or of mortality that they feel safe with a star- authoritarian restrictions, even if we know they don't really work. So, but yeah, so there is some support for the sort of fear of death and what it does to people or fear in general and what it does to people in stoic literature and Epictetus writes that the fear of death drives us to abandon our duties, betray our fellow men and act as cowards. Death cannot rob us of our moral integrity, but fear can. When out of fear, we disgrace ourselves. Then Epictetus asks his students, will you then realize that this epitome of all human evils is not death, but rather the fear of death? Again, this then, discipline yourself. Toward this, let all your reasonings, your exercises, your readings tend, and you will know that only in this way are all human beings liberated. So yeah, I thought that was very applicable
0: to this situation. Yes, Yes. I think there's... (laughs) change uh, in attitudes since the pandemic, I, you know, I don't, I don't think there was this fear of death uh, uh, b- beforehand. I mean, or, or maybe yeah. it was something that was slowly uh, sneaking up on us that, uh, that, uh, right. that, that it just, just sort of became um, a thing that, you know, we all know it's going to happen uh, to us at some stage, right. And all the pandemic could do would be to, to bring the, the the time forward, uh, and all um, all staying at home and so forth can do is as, is uh, push right. push push it back, uh, perhaps. Uh, but, yeah, uh, yeah I, I just I think that, that there was something happened, a change. You know, our, our life has to change because we've got this big pandemic
1: yeah i I don't know what it is either you know just yeah just sort of some effect on the human psyche of um <laughs> our normalcy bias was shattered <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. um but yeah beyond that I really do think that it's sort of the denial of death or you know wanting to sort of push that away or blame someone or or so on at least in terms of of individuals, you know, with the state's response. I mean, that's a whole nother topic that we don't need to get into, you know, but um yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I should mention my own views a bit at this stage of that uh, uh, when the pandemic started off in March, 2020, uh, my wife and I decided that it could be a good idea for us to stay home because we we're in the, in the vulnerable right. group. So we right. right. stayed, Decided voluntarily to to stay home for a, a few weeks uh, before the lockdowns started. Right. Then, um, yes, and I've uh, had three doses of vaccine, so I'm I'm, I'm uh, very strongly in favour of getting vaccinated myself, and and I think I encourage others to as well, particularly the people in the vulnerable groups. On the other hand, I'm, I'm uh, right. I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about the, the mandates. And the, right, the, exactly. The, I don't, you know, I just don't think, well, I, as, as you were saying, I, I don't think that the prevention of spread uh, through vaccination is, has been all that successful. Right, um, no. no.
1: Right, right. And, and therefore, that means that there's really, the benefit is to the individual. You know, it's a it's a therapeutic. Therefore, the benefit is the individual. I mean, you could make a very tenuous argument that there might be some benefit for the health system not being overwhelmed. But that's very tenuous, because if you're like not high, if you're not high risk, you know, you might not be overwhelming the health system anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like if yeah. you're young, if you're low risk, there's less chances of that happening anyway, especially now with Omicron. You know, so it's yeah, this this idea that. I, I don't know. At the beginning, they were saying that it was going to stop the spread. And it, it that has just not transpired. You know, it's not a non sterilizing vaccine. So yeah, exactly. And of course, it should be a personal choice. It shouldn't, you know, you're, you're, someone's supposed to, <laughs> it should be a personal choice in the same way that eating healthy is or all these <laughs> other things that can affect your health, you know, I mean, it's that it doesn't necessarily affect others. So there's a lot of really tortured logic that, <laughs> that has come out of the COVID-19 pandemic. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, it may be time for me to start to round up uh, sure. this, this, this session. Uh, thank you very much for uh, talking to me today, Leah. And uh, yeah. I uh, hope we can chat again on uh, on Zoom at, uh, at uh, some time uh, in the future. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that would be great, and this, this has been good, and I hope that it's been helpful, um, you know, for people to give sort of a different perspective or a helpful perspective, because um, the philosophy of Stoicism has really been a great help to me over you know, the course of the past few years.
0: Thanks, Leah. It has been a pleasure to have Leah talk to us today. The main point that I take away is that Stoic philosophy still has much to offer us in the management of fear, and particularly in the management of the fear of death. As I mentioned at the outset, Leah's blog is called Common Sense Ethics. That is, Leah Goldrick's blog, Common Sense Ethics. I encourage everyone to take a look. So, until next time, Don't forget that you need to be free to flourish.